morning, church. So in my junior year, uh, after my two semesters at ACU, I got an internship at a church in southeast Houston called Clear Lake Church of Christ. Preaching minister there is Byron Fike, and I got to work with him. And one day I got into work, and Byron said, we have an appointment at the funeral home. And I said, okay. And he said, one of our members is picking her casket today, and she wants us to join. I thought, why did I choose this job? This job is strange. Uh, I had no familiarity with what we were about to do, uh, but we got into the car with this member, and we went to a funeral home uh, to pick someone's casket. And when we got there, uh, this woman was so no-nonsense, and she wanted to make sure she was not swindled at this funeral home. Uh, So we got out the brochure, and this was the first time I had ever seen the prices for uh, caskets, and I was shocked. Uh, We kept going through. We kept seeing more and more and more expensive caskets. And then we got to the very last page, uh, which showed something called a lunar burial package. This $15,000 experience uh, would include cremation and then putting your ashes on a rocket and sending you to the moon. No joke. And I was so disappointed she did not choose the lunar burial package. Uh, But this, of course, inspired, uh, for me, y'all know me, uh, a lot of theological conversations when we got into the car, because I was fascinated by all of this, and I wanted to know what Byron thought of this. And we just had an incredible conversation, and I remembered this story this week because uh, we have been going through the Apostles' Creed. We've talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, And today we are talking about the resurrection of the body. Now, if you haven't been here, this is an ancient confession that Christians have professed out loud for centuries. But for those of you who aren't Christians or who maybe are new to Christianity, this idea, the resurrection of the body, can seem very spooky. The only frame of reference we have is for resurrection is movies in which superheroes never seem to die, or zombies, or, or something. I mean, we have no frame of reference for this idea that Christians have professed for so long. But I just want to be clear up front. Christians believe in two resurrections. And I know this sounds strange at first, but we believe in a resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago. We believe in a man named Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified on a Saturday. He was buried in a tomb. And then on early Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. But we also believe, in addition to that resurrection, in the resurrection of all people. And it's because he taught it. Jesus himself, the man who was raised from the dead, said, Don't be astonished at this. The hour is coming. When all who are in their graves will hear my voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We believe in two resurrections. One 2,000 years ago and one sometime in the future. But Christians also are a little bit more particular. We say that we believe 
in the resurrection of the body. And we focus on that aspect of the resurrection because the body is surprisingly important to our faith. No matter where Christians have lived, the body has always been a subject of debate. Some cultures in which Christians have lived have said, no, 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 the body is not important to God. It's this kind of husk or shell that the real you live inside of. And one day when your soul or spirit departs that, you'll never see your gross body again. Our culture sometimes tells us that all we are is our body. There's nothing immaterial, nothing spiritual about us. All you have is the thing you're given from birth. Some cultures are disgusted by the body. Some cultures are very positive about the body. But the question for us today is, how do we view our bodies? Is it the enemy? Is it something we escape? What is God's plan for our bodies? And one of the most epic teachings about God's view of our bodies is found in the letter that we read today. And the, the author of that letter is, is named Paul. He's an apostle who follows Jesus. And he talks about this good news that he's passed on to this uh, church in Corinth. And he said, you know, I've, I've handed a set of beliefs to you that are of absolute first importance. And one of the essentials, one of the things you've got to believe is that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And the, and the church in Corinth is not questioning that resurrection. They are not questioning the first resurrection. But they are questioning the second. And, and scholars debate why they're, they're rejecting the second resurrection, but I think the, the best and the most simple explanation is that, that they grew up in a Greek culture that said, your body is the tomb of your soul. You are a spirit trapped inside a nasty husk, and one day you'll escape. So they're thinking, okay, Paul says that we're going to be raised sometime in the future, but if we come back with these filthy bodies, the resurrection must not be true. But Paul says, if you reject the second resurrection, you also lose the first. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. You can't have one without the other. Paul said earlier in this letter, he says, by his power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and he will raise us also. That You, you can't take one without the other. The, the man who was raised from the dead promises us that we'll be raised from the dead. And if Jesus doesn't fulfill that promise, he must not be the Lord we think him to be. But then Paul says, look, Christ has been raised. You do know about the first resurrection, so the second resurrection is guaranteed. You can believe it. And he says that you can believe it because he bases his whole life around it. He stops everything he's doing when he meets the Lord and does everything, all of his mission work, all of his travel around the Mediterranean Sea, all of that just because he believes that Jesus died and rose again. 
He even says this to this church. He writes, look, if we aren't going to be raised from the dead, why am I putting myself in danger every hour? I almost get martyred every other week. If I didn't believe in the resurrection, why would I be doing that? So he says, no, I believe in the the second resurrection. I live my life based around it because I know the first one happened. But here's the thing. The Corinthian church is just still so stuck on what kind of body they'll have. So Paul uses the, the best analogies he has to try and understand and unpack this mystery. He writes, what you sow, he uses a farming analogy, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be. In other words, you're not going to come back just as you are right now. We don't believe in God reanimating corpses. Whether you're buried or cremated, God does not need the body to be preserved to give you a new one. Even if you get the lunar burial package, God can bring you back with a new body. He says what you sow is not the body that is to be. God is going to give you a new body. And he, and he makes all of these contrasts between the body we have now and the body we'll have then. He says, what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown, the body is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I just love this passage is that the gospel is so realistic about our bodies the way they are right now. They are not perfect. They get sick and they die too early and they have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Something's wrong with them, if that's true. And Paul knows this. He says the bodies we have right now are not the bodies that God intends for us. One day we're going to have bodies that are imperishable, powerful, and honorable. And what that means for us is that we don't need to escape our bodies. We need God to transform our bodies. I think this is so important because We live, I think, in an era where we're trying to deny the realities of our bodies. If we can just do the right diet, if we could just put on enough essential oils, if we can do whatever it takes, we can preserve this thing as long as possible. But I think what Paul is saying is we just don't have what it takes. Our bodies, as they are right now, you should not resist the inevitability of what these bodies are facing. And you don't need to worry about that because one day God is going to transform them. Now, I know that there are a lot of misunderstandings about the new body, and I'm not trying to lay down just exactly how we're going to come back in the future. I think it's mysterious. But I think sometimes we, I don't know how to put this another way, we over-spiritualize it. 
We kind of imagine this body as this ephemeral, ghost-like thing that one day we'll have. But I don't think that's what Paul is really saying. I think he's contrasting the, the kind of power that our bodies live by. So this is what he says. He, he says perishable and imperishable, natural body and spiritual body. And I think what he's saying is that the new bodies aren't going to have to live on all the, the necessities that we have to have right now. We require for these bodies air and water and food and sleep, and we are mortal. Because if any of those things go away, the body dies. But the new body, the transformed body, it lives by the sheer life of Christ. Those bodies don't ever go hungry, they don't get tired, they never go thirsty, because we are totally and completely reliant on the life of Christ. And in, in some mysterious way, God raises these bodies, and I don't know what they're going to be like, but I think the best basis for understanding what our new bodies will be like will be Jesus' body. Because in Luke's gospel, Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, after he has this new body, he appears his disciples. And it says that some of them saw Jesus and were scared because they thought he was a ghost. But Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is after the resurrection, after the transformation and glorification of his body. He says, touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And the New Testament promises over and over that our resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies, is based on Christ's resurrection. Paul says in Romans 6, 5, he says, If we have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. The New Testament says over and over and over, in some mysterious way, our new bodies will be like his. I think 1 John 3, 2 says this, summarizes it just so perfectly. He says, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Christ raises us all from the dead, we are going to have a new body. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, if sometimes we over-spiritualize it, sometimes we over-physicalize it. And that's a made-up word right in this very moment, over-physicalized. We sometimes imagine we're just going to come back, but maybe with a little less flab, you know? Maybe I won't be balding when I come back with this new body. Maybe I can dunk. That would be amazing. We just imagine that we're just going to be a little bit of a kind of upgrade on the past. Maybe we'll just be a little bit more attractive or something like that. But what Paul says is what's sown is just a bare seed. 
You cannot fully comprehend the way we're going to come back. I mean, Jesus, right, when he appears to his disciples over and over and over, they don't recognize him. Something has changed about him. I I love this painting that Ben has, has shown me, and I think it's just an incredible scene. This is based off of a scene uh, in the Gospel of John when Jesus appears to his disciples. And you may have heard the, the term doubting Thomas. This is when Thomas says, hey, unless I see the wounds in his body, I'm not going to believe. And so this famous painter named Caravaggio depicts three disciples with Jesus after, after his resurrection. And I love this so much because you can't even tell if Thomas is looking at the wound or looking past it, like he kind of kind of can't tell what he's doing because he is so uncomfortable being around this man, Jesus, with his new body. Ben pointed this out to me about the other two disciples. You know, we often, we often put down Thomas. He's the doubter. But look at these two guys. They're like, what's going on? What's going on with that? You know, how can this man who we saw dead now be back because he bears this wound, but it's not bleeding. We have no concept of what that is like. Whatever happens to us will be a profound transformation of our bodies. Now, look, I understand this can seem abstract and ephemeral and sometime in the future, so why does it matter now? I think this is so important because the Christian view of the body. It's not just true, it's good news. God created our bodies good. But after the fall, our bodies groan with pain and embarrassment and shame and mortality. And God knows that and cares so much that he entered into our world with a body like ours. He was a a baby born to a woman. And he shared all of the frustrations of our bodies. And then our salvation comes through his suffering in his body. New body. He ascends into heaven with his transformed body. Christianity cares about the body. We know that it's difficult, it's painful, it's frustrating. We get diagnoses that we can't handle, that we can't just solve or fix with enough medicine. Christianity knows that. But we also also don't reject our bodies. We're not Gnostics who think we're stuck in these shells and we just can't wait to escape. We look forward to a day Not of escape, but of resurrection. Where God ultimately defeats the enemy of death. There's this scholar named N.T. Wright who I just think has an amazing description of what we look forward to. He says, we believe in life after death. We also believe in life after life after death. Let me explain that for just a second. When we die, 
and we have faith in Jesus Christ, we do believe in life after death that will be in God's presence in heaven with Christ. And Paul says it is better by far to be apart from the body and with the Lord. We do believe in life after death, but also we await one day life after life after death. We look forward to the day that God will raise us from the dead and give us new bodies where we get to experience whatever that is like to the fullest. We look forward to both of these things. And that's why in the Depression, when people sang, I'll fly away, they're looking forward to life after death. Because it's better by far to be apart from the body and with the Lord. But we also look forward to the resurrection. Life after life after death. Because on that day, when we're raised from the dead, we can sing the song that Paul wrote in this letter. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The good news of the resurrection of the body is that God defeats death. The very thing that makes your body mortal and perishable and dishonorable and frustrating and shameful will one day be defeated. Finally and fully when God raises us from the dead. And when that happens, we'll be able to sing with our new bodies. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day. We profess belief in the resurrection of the body. We believe you made it good, but that it groans in pain and frustration. But we don't need to take our lives in our own hands. We don't need to escape the body. We don't need to hate our bodies or see our but we do, we do need transformation. We need you to change our bodies, to clothe us with immortality and glory and power. We look forward to that day too. In Jesus' name we pray.